My name is Chris, for those of you who don't know, and I have the awesome privilege of working alongside these guys. And today I have the privilege of sharing our message. And just a set, let me get set up here. We have been going through a series called Sermons from Spotify, where we've been taking a look at the music that we hear in our lives. And uh, how many of you guys like music? Anybody here like music? Now, I don't know about you. Have you ever, have you ever thought about what your soundtrack would sound like? like? Like if they turned your life into a movie, what would your soundtrack be? And uh, I've thought about that. I think some of you guys have maybe thought about that. But the reason is because music is kind of always in the background of everything that we're doing. I mentioned last week that there can be times where, where you haven't heard a song in ages, but there you are in the middle of Target and it comes on and you are taken back to that place when you last heard it. You find yourself in the fetal position on the ground bawling because of that breakup in your junior year of high school you still haven't gotten over. Just, just me? And, uh, and so we've been taking a look at, at how does music speak to us? And how does music speak to our, our faith? And, and so we've been going through each of the decades. We, we started with the, the 70s and the 80s, which Dan did because he's older. Um, and then last week I did the 90s. Uh, which we got to start out, we got to joke about some of the TV shows at the time, like Full House and Saved by the Bell. I even sang like a line of the Full House theme song that I will not do again. Um, but then we talked about how as the generation played out, uh, the music that had started out so poppy and over the top, boy bands, girl bands, pop music everywhere, how it it started to get eroded a little bit because these things started happening in the world that, that reminded us that sometimes there's darkness out there. We talked about the Columbine shooting and some of the music that came out of that experience. We talked about a generation realizing that life is not a sitcom, that, that evil is out there. And uh, it included... Ryan, are you still in the room? An amazing song last week where he just poured his heart out. Um, speaking of which, was the youth band not awesome this morning? Yes. I, I love seeing them up there. And, and, and you know, I, I've said this before, but I heard at a youth conference several years ago, the speaker got up and said, you know, youth are not the future of the church and as a youth pastor in the room, we were all like offended because like this is literally our job. And, uh, and he said, no, youth are the church. And when we give them an opportunity to step up and, and be the church, so many times God blesses us. And, and I, I feel like we got to experience that this morning. Um, and this morning, we are actually going to be talking about another generation, the, the 2000s. It's sometimes called the aughts, which is a, a weird word, but there's no good way to say the OOs. So they call it the aughts. And what's interesting is that the decades prior to the aughts, they had distinctive identities. 
I've been listening to a podcast called The History of the 90s. And it goes through all the big events and cultural phenomenons of the 90s. There was an entire episode about Beanie Babies. Anybody here brave enough to admit they collected them? Anybody? Yeah, look at you. They're worthless now. <laughs> but it's been diving into exactly what made the 90s the 90s. But, but they mentioned in there that one of the unique things about the 90s is that it was one of the last decades that had its, its really own unique identity. I mean, even if we look back at the last several decades, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, I could play a couple songs from each of those decades. I could show you one or two outfits. I could show you one car. And most of you in this room could point and be like, oh, that, that was the 60s. No, that was the 80s. In fact, we dress up as people from these decades for Halloween because they're so recognizable that it's like, oh, I know that decade. And that was true all the way through the 90s. But it isn't true for the aughts. If I asked you to describe what the first decade of the 2000s looked like, we would have a hard time pinning it down. I mean, at least with the 90s, we could be like slap bracelets and neon clothes. But with the aughts, we were it was such a, a segmented, fragmented generation that we're still trying to figure out how to describe it. And so as I was preparing for this message, I started asking the question of why? Well, why is it so tough? I remember my freshman year of college. I went to a small Bible school uh, in Oklahoma City. Any Oklahoma fans here? Anybody? Get out. Um, <laughs> no, I went to this school there, and I remember I, I was going through my first semester, and I was just trying to figure out this being an adult thing. Um, I'm still doing that. Anybody got it figured out? Anybody talk to me after the service? I need help. Uh, but I remember I was, I was like, I was learning how to do my own laundry. Um, it's crazy. I remember I was learning how to fix meals. I did, you have to do that on your own. Uh, and, and so I was having that whole experience, getting in the routine of going to class each day. But then there was one day that I was, I was going to this class. It was a theology class. And I remember as I was getting ready to go in the door, this girl that I, I knew, I'd say we were friends, but we weren't really that close, but she, she comes running up to me. And she's frantic. Like she's, she's crying, she's bawling, and, and she pretty much kind of throws herself at me. I, so I, I, I awkwardly gave her a hug, and I, and I put my hands on her, her shoulder, and I'm thinking, I, I barely know you. What, what's, what is going on? And, and, and through the, the crying and, and the stuttering, she said that there's been, there was a plane and it hit a building in New York. And I thought she meant like a small plane. I was very confused. I was like, did you, did you know someone on the plane? I don't understand why this is such a big deal to you. But then all of us, we, we stepped out of that room and into the student center and they had the TV on and we saw images like this. And all of a sudden we realized this, this is a big deal. In fact, I bet 
for most of you that are my age, maybe a little younger or older, but, but you, could, you could right now tell me where you were that morning. Like, like it, it's ingrained in your head. I, I was talking to somebody last week after the service and we were discussing that whole music memories thing. She said, I'll never forget after 9-11, we were walking through the student union and somebody was playing the REM song, It's the End of the World as We Know It. And I'll never forget how those lyrics felt, how they sounded then on that day. And as we watched that day unfold, it was, it was clear. Innocence died. That process that for me started in the 90s of thinking the world was all rosy and good, but then seeing things like the Oklahoma City bombing and the Columbine shooting, I started to realize, no, that there's darkness and evil out there. That innocence, that safety, that security that started to die, well, this, this was the day that put the nail in the coffin. You know, everything changed. The the world, we kind of knew the world was never going to be the same. Am Am I connecting with anybody? Was this the experience you guys had? And we all started to react in, in different ways. We had to figure out how to cope with this as a culture. I think that's where a lot of that fragmentation, segmentation, like, like uh, that's, that's where it comes from. That's where that loss of identity was, was all of us trying to figure out how to react to this thing that had happened. Now, if we're talking music, secular music took an interesting direction. It became an escape. Whereas in generations past, You had artists that were writing a lot of really deep songs that were making their way onto the radio, dealing about what was happening in the world at the time. Whether that was the Vietnam War, the tension in Germany, you had these bands that were tackling that. But but it's almost like music felt like it, it needed to be an escape where we could forget all of the troubles that were going on. And so the hit songs, the hit artists at the time were people like Flo Rida. Or, or Kesha, or Beyonce, or Fergie. I once had a youth that came up to me and they were so proud because they were like, you know that song Fergalicious? I can do the rap right now. You want to hear it? I was like, not really, but you're going to do it anyway. So even rock music at that time wasn't taking itself too serious. You had bands like, like Fall Out Boy or Nickelback. You can laugh, it's okay. (laughs) Although there's a volunteer with our youth program whose name I won't mention, who as we were talking about this said, you know, I still like Nickelback. I'm taking it to the board of elders. (laughs) No, secular music decided, no, we don't want to think about these heavy things. So we're going to have a party. We're going to dance. And the radio started sounding like club music. Like, how many of you turned on the radio during those 10 years and thought, what is going on here? Anybody, like, like what is even happening? Yeah, it was this escape. But, but then Christians, well, Christians got scared. 
Like there's this religious violence that's taking place in the world or this religious motivated violence. We're, we're hearing language on cable news that we never heard before and we got scared. All of a sudden, being a Christian, well, we, we were fearful of what exactly that meant in this new world that we were, we were living in. And, and I had so many conversations where you could tell that, that Christians, they, they longed for the safety and the security that they had before that day. And so something kind of interesting happened. They, they created their own world. Uh, Christians, we had our own music. We had our own culture. And it was positive and, and encouraging. Now, I'm not knocking Caleb, but what I'm saying that Christians, we started to kind of pull away from the rest of culture. It's like we built this kind of bubble over our neighborhood. And inside that bubble, we could have our own music, our own movies, our own conversations, and, and some sense of safety and security. I remember, being, I remember being in my youth group, and there was a poster on the wall and it said, if you like this secular artist, then you'll really like this Christian artist. In other words, if you want to get away from that, here's where you can go. Now, I'm not knocking Christian music. There's a lot of it that I love. I enjoy going to Winter Jam. I enjoy rocking out to bands like, like Skillet. I, I really do. And I'm not knocking Caleb. I know that it brings encouragement and positivity to a lot of people on a daily basis. But what I am saying is that there was this trend during that time of Christians out of that fear wanting to find a safe, secure place. So they, they kind of started to live in this, this bubble. But something really weird started happening. Those same bands that were doing the, the party dance thing on the radio, they started releasing songs just here and there where, where there would be a verse or an idea that went beyond the club. There was a group at the time called Black Eyed Peas. And, <laughs> Dan, really? Dance like I'm a big fan. <laughs> really? Now, this was a band that was famous for songs entitled Boom Boom Pow, or I kid you not, My Humps, which is not something you thought you would hear today. These were the songs that they had on the radio at the time. But then they released this song called Where is the Love? And I want to read you a verse from that song. It says, I feel the weight of the world on my shoulders. As I'm getting older, y'all, people gets colder. Most of us only care about money making. Selfishness got us following the wrong direction. Wrong information shown by the media, negative images is the main criteria. Infecting the young people's minds faster than bacteria. Kids want to act like what they see in the cinemas. What happened to the love and the values of humanity? What happened to the love and the fairness and equality? Instead of spreading love, we're spreading animosity. Lack of understanding lead us away from unity. And then the chorus of that song is actually sang by Justin Timberlake, who was famous on the radio at that time for a song called Sexy Back. 
also not a phrase you thought you were going to hear this morning. So just keep in mind the artists that combined to come together to write this chorus right here. Can you practice what you're preaching? Would you turn the other cheek again? Mama, 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 tell us what the hell is going on. Can't we all just get along? Father, 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 help us. Send some guidance from above. Because people got me questioning, where is the love? Now, I know I used the word hell there. I kept that lyric in because I think it was them describing the world they saw around them. This song came out in 2003, and I think if you looked at what was happening in the world between 2001 and 2003, that's a pretty good word to describe what we were seeing. There was another band that I loved, Linkin Park. It was a rock band. It had a lot of angry songs about breaking up with people. But then they had a verse that said like this, At times like this, you pray, but a bomb blew the mosque up yesterday. There's bombs in the buses, bikes, and roads, inside your markets, your shops, your clothes. My dad, he's got a lot of fear, I know, but enough pride inside not to let that show. My brother had a book that he held with pride, a little red cover with a broken spine. In the back, he hand wrote a quote inside, when the rich wage war, it's the poor who die. And we saw artist after artist that started to have these just lyrics in their song. Uh, there was a band called The Fray, wrote a song called You Found Me. He says, I found God on the corner of First and Amistad, where the West was all but one, all alone smoking his last cigarette. He said, where? I said, where have you been? And he said, ask me anything. And then he belts out in the chorus, lost and insecure, you found me, you found me. Lying on the floor, surrounded, surrounded. You too even wrote a song called Yahweh during this time. To which they said, take this city. A city should be shining on a hill. Take this city if it be your will. What no man can own, no man can take. Take this heart and make it break. What, what is going on here? See, I believe that the world was and is longing for the gospel. The, the music was literally crying out for it. You know, and there's this, this great story in, in scripture. And, and, and this is Jesus as he's going into Jerusalem, the capital, the holy city. We refer to this as Palm Sunday. Crowds had gathered. So as he rode along, the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him. And when he reached the place where the road started down the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God for all the wonderful miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But some of the Pharisees among the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. See, the Pharisees were upset. This crowd was not the normal crowd that would be declaring these kind of things. And Jesus wasn't the normal person they would be declaring it about. And so the Pharisees were upset and said, please make them stop. And Jesus replies with this kind of famous line. If they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. 
or as another translation says it, listen, if they were silent, the very rocks would start to shout. And, And it's out of this that one of my favorite writers, Shane Claiborne, makes this observation. He says, but most Christian artists and preachers have remained strangely distant from human suffering. That's that bubble I was talking about. Offering the world eternal assurance over prophetic imagination. Perhaps it should not surprise us that Jesus says, if the Christians remain silent, then the rocks will cry out, or the rock stars, I guess. See, the world was in a place, and I would argue still is in a place, where they are longing for the gospel. And if they can't find it, they start crying out for it. If it's not the church, the religious leaders that are saying it, and it's the people on the sides of the road, it's the rocks that are crying out for the gospel. You know, what, what is the gospel? One of my favorite things is that when you literally translate that word, it's, it's good news. It's the word that they used to use when somebody would come back from battle to tell the king that they had won. In fact, they would have somebody on the watchtower looking over the horizon just so that they could see the person carrying the gospel before anybody else so that they could be the first to know the good news. And so in the New Testament, when Jesus is going around, when the disciples are going around teaching, they begin to call their message the good news. And and I think the world needs some good news. They need the news of a Savior that that came down to, to be with us, to show us how to live, to show us an answer to the question, where is the love? This is how you love. You love God. You love others. This is how you build that city on a hill, that kingdom here, your will be done. This is how wars end and peace begin. This is the gospel. And even when the world said, well, we don't like that gospel, we're going to smash it down, we're going to kill it. When they took the, the heart of that gospel, that very savior, and put him on the cross and then put him in a tomb That gospel was such good news it couldn't even stay behind that giant stone. But it rolled away and came out proclaiming resurrection. And I don't know about you, but I think the world could use some resurrection. Can I get an amen on that? I'm, I'm still Baptist at heart. I like hearing it every once in a while. Just, it's okay. But I think the world needs some good news. You know, there's, there's a story in Acts. This is when the disciples have started to go around and, and, and to preach that gospel. And it says here, while Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priest, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus, there is resurrection of the dead. They arrested them and said, since it was already evening, put them in jail until the morning. And it goes on and it says, but many of the people heard their message and they believed it. So the number of men who believed now totaled 5,000. 
Now, the religious leaders are still upset. It says the, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. Now, I think that's a really important note there. Because I hear people all the time saying, well, I, I believe this gospel thing, but I don't want to tell anybody about it because I, I'm not an expert. I'm not one of those weird people like you or Dan. So, so I, th that's your job, not my job. I love how it says that these were just the average people that believed in Jesus, but they were out there telling people what they believed. It says uh, they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man had been healed, he was standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. And then I love how this passage wraps up. So, so they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. There's one translation that actually puts it, we cannot stop talking. I have an eight-year-old daughter <laughs> who, I'm not proud of this, on occasion I have looked at and said, you can keep talking, but I'm going to stop listening. <laughs> it's been like four hours. But when she gets excited about something, she will keep going on and on and on about it. How many of you know somebody like that? Who this week, all it, it's chiefs this and chiefs that. The other day, I, yesterday, I, I ran into Dick's Sporting Goods and there is a line wrapped around the entire building of people buying chiefs jerseys and hats because they are excited and they can't stop talking about it. And Peter and John are saying, we are excited and we can't stop talking about it. We live in a world that needs the good news. And we need to be the people that can't stop talking about it. Because if we look around the world, there are people not in the church, not in the bubble, that are crying out for it. We saw it in those lyrics. We continue to see it in those lyrics. How many of you have ever been driving around and you're listening to a song on the radio that's not a Christian song, but you hear a line in it and you're like, but that's Jesus. Or that's somebody crying out for Jesus. The rocks will cry out. The rock stars will cry out and they're crying out for the message that we have, the good news. And so our prayer is that we can go out there and be the people that won't stop talking. Because the world's waiting for that. So I'm going to pray. Some of our youth are going to play a song called Waiting on the World to Change. That's about this same hunger in the world, this desire for the gospel. God, Sometimes the world feels like it's lost all of its innocence. That there's no safety or security anymore. And it can be scary. And God, we can be tempted to pull away from it. But you've told us to run into it. Shouting the good news. Jesus.
And I pray that that's exactly what we can do because it's exactly what the world needs. In Jesus' name, amen.